tonight, I'm glad you're here. There's like a lot of women faces and a lot of new faces, and like both of those make me really happy. I think I just like people. Um, but we're finishing up our throwback series, which has been our series on the first four books of the book of Acts. And um, for those of you guys who like are just coming into this or like have missed some of the weeks, just so you know, um, there is like crafting up this podcast. And we're on SoundCloud, and so like if you ever miss a week and you're like, hey, I wonder if what was said, you want to go hear it, um, it's available. Cool. And you can just go to iTunes and search how to miss this podcast, and there it is. Um, but we're finishing up our throwback series, and so we've seen the beginning of the early Christian church. Um, we watched Jesus ascend. We've seen Peter gain boldness through the Holy Spirit, and the other apostles gain boldness through the Holy Spirit. We've seen the body of believers grow significantly from those that were in the upper room to what we hear is hundreds and thousands. Um, and tonight, we're going to wrap this up looking at the end of chapter 4. Um, but before we dive into our text, I just want to ask you a question. Um, have you ever had to ask somebody for something? Like something you really want or something that you're not sure how they respond? Um, so I think that'll kind of like frame what we talk about tonight. So just think about that. Think about that feeling like when you need to ask somebody for something. Um, so I remember a little while back, there was something that I wanted to ask for. Something I really, really, really wanted. Um, I wanted it really badly. And so, see, I was at this place where I was really feeling burnt out. Like I was feeling exhausted all the time, irritable all the time. Um, just discouraged all the time, and so burnout. And I was struggling, you know, and struggling with thoughts of like, should I just keep going, or should I just quit? Um, like, if you're ever in that place where you're like, I need to quit, you probably need sleep. Um, <laughs> and then reassess the situation. Um, but but I was at that place where I was wondering, like, should I just keep going? Should I quit? Like, what is even the point? Um, you know, that place of this there we hit where you're like, what is the meaning of life? You know, I was just kind of down. So I decided I wanted to go on a prayer retreat so I could just kind of sit with the Lord and I could pray and I could talk to him and I could sort all of this out, right? And um, I'd heard of friends doing prayer retreats. I had never, like, intentionally taken a prayer retreat because at, at previous times in life, um, like in high school and college, before I was married and stuff, like, if I just wanted time with Jesus, I just went and spent time with Jesus. Um, but at this point, you know, I was feeling burnt out, and I'm no longer a single who can just, like, pick up and be like, well, this weekend I'm doing this. Um, that's not the reality of my life. I, I take off for a few days. There's a lot of people to consider. There's Matt. There's our three kids. Um, there's Ty Alpha, There's church responsibilities, etc. So I had to ask Matt if I could do this. Um, I had to ask him, like, hey, can I go on a prayer retreat? And um, I don't know why he does, because, like, Matt's cool. He's met him. He's back there. He's the most easygoing, nicest, chill guy in the world. But I was terrified to ask him if I could, like, just take a few days away and go sit with Jesus. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but for some reason, I thought it's really, like, bad of me or, like, not caring of me as a wife to be, like, I'm going to take a few days, and I'm just going to go sit, you know? Like, um, that seems like 
how's he ever going to understand, you know, it's not like I'm just sitting, I'd be praying, but how's he ever going to understand me just taking a few days to go sit? Um, so I was absolutely terrified. I knew he loves the Lord. I know he values prayer, but asking him to, like, watch the kids and run a ministry solo for a few days just seemed like it was, like, way too big. Um, and so I just wasn't sure, honestly, how he would respond. I, like, didn't know what he would think of this. And I think deep down, honestly, I was just really afraid he would say no. Um, so I sought counsel from a friend, and she was like, you need to take some time off. Um, and I sought counsel from a mentor, and she was like, you need to take some time off. Um, and so then I went back to the mentor, and I was like, but, but like, how? Like, how do I have this conversation? Which, like, you would think, I don't know what you guys think, but I always thought when I was younger, like when I was a kid and stuff, I would look at adults, and I would think, like, they know what's happening. Like, they've got the world together. And, like, they're in charge. And, you know, like, do you, anybody remember being a little kid and you felt like that? Like, you look at the adults and you're like, they are the adulting, right? And um, so then I got to college and people were like, you're an adult now. I was like, don't feel any different, right? Um, so then I got to my 20s. <laughs> I'm still like, still don't feel any different. Um, you know, mid-20s, I was like, people think I know what I'm doing, um, like for good or ill, people think I know what I'm doing, and then when you reach 30, people are like, like you are put together, you understand what, that is not what is happening in my brain, in my brain I am still about 10, and I'm like, all the other adults know what's happening, and I'm still like, I'm mistaking it, <laughs> um, that's how I feel, um, so, I, so really, ask this mentor, I'm like, but how do I have that conversation? And my husband, like, I'm like, I'm terrified. I don't know how to ask for that. Um, but we talked about it, and I ultimately decided that's something I should pursue. So finally, finally, I decided to talk to Matt about it. And that conversation, it changed so many things for us. Like, just for our marriage, just for me. It changed so many things. Um, it changed me. It changed our marriage and how I view my spouse. Um, it brought a new closeness because, like, after that conversation, I realized I could come to my husband and say, I'm feeling severely burnt out and down in life. I need help and that he would love me, which I should know he would love me, but we just never hit that place before, so it was a little bit like scary to, to reach it. And so kind of to preface that um, that story, or this, what we're going to talk about tonight with that story, is just sometimes like we come to a place where we need to ask God for something. We're going to recap um, what's happened over the past few weeks in our series, right? Um, because we started in the book of Acts, but then for context of what we're talking about tonight, you kind of need to know what happened the last two weeks that we talked about in here. And um, so what happens is Peter heals a lame man, right? In Acts chapter 3, he heals this lame man. Um, the guy's basically begging, and he's like, Sir, do you have anything? And so Peter says, Look at me. Make eye contact, right? And he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately, um, feet and ankles were strengthened, and the man got up and started walking. Um, so that happens, and it draws a crowd. This guy was, it says he had been there for 40 years, and people recognized him. So the second he starts walking around, it draws a crowd. Peter and the disciples then preach to the crowd, right? Um, because if God does a miracle, um, 
just like a little aside for the night, if God does a miracle, like if he does something absolutely miraculous, chances are it's going to draw a crowd and that is creating an opportunity for you to share the gospel. Um, the point of miracles is to draw attention to God so we can share who he is. Um, so the disciples, they do that. They share Christ. And they preach the crowd. Um, it says in Acts 3.12, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, so he sees all these people are coming. And then um, the priests and the Sadducees and temple guard get mad because they are drawing all of the attention. All the religious attention in the city is all of a sudden not on them, and it's now on Jesus' disciples, which they thought they had stopped when they killed Jesus. But that didn't work out so well, right? And um, so they get mad, and they arrest them. And so Peter and John are arrested, um, and as they're arrested, they stand trial. And it tells us in Acts 4.8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches to them. So he's like, man, this is a great ministry day. Like, dude got healed. I preached to the crowd. Now I'm preaching to, like, the religious leaders. I mean, you know, he's, he's just sharing Christ everywhere he goes. Um, so they can't find anything that they've actually done wrong. Um, they can't actually find any reason to hold them. Um, and so they demand, Peter and John, they say, do not teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Right? And so that's in Acts 4, kind of where we talked about um, last week, they say, just don't teach in Jesus' name anymore. Just stop it. Um, and Peter responds boldly and says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. We cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. So he's saying, I don't know about you, if it's right before God for me to do what you say, or do what God says, but I think I'm going to do what God says. Which is pretty bold, Right? in the face of what they're, um, they're facing, because these are the same people that put Jesus to death, and he's just like, nope, we're going to still talk about Jesus. They still let them go, and that kind of catches us up to what we're going to be looking at tonight in the text, which is Acts 4, 23 through 31. So if you guys have your Bible, or you know your smart thing, or like whatever your Bible text is on, um, you can look at that. We're going to pick up in verse 23. And it says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David. Your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And this is, this is a huge verse right here. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. In preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name, through the name of your Holy Servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. So, this is the scripture we're looking at tonight, and I just want to make three points about it and talk about it. Um, and then there will be a challenge, okay? The first point is so these guys have been arrested. 
they've been released, but then they go and they meet up with the other believers and they pray. And uh, part of the reason they're praying is because the threat was very real, okay? Their threat was real. Um, it mentions Herod, Pilate, and the people, and those were the people who had killed Jesus. Um, they're still in the very same city, surrounded by the very same people who had caused Jesus Christ's death. And um, like we know that that was part of God's plan. But also, I mean, these were not the nicest of people. They were angry, and they could be angry to the point of convicting somebody to death, okay? Um, so it was a very real possibility they could be killed too. And it wasn't a joke what they were facing. You know, this was a reality. A few chapters later in the book of Acts, um, if you want to just keep reading on your own, we have the story of Stephen, and um, he's the first Christian martyr. He actually does end up being killed uh, because he's a believer in Christ. And so their threat was really real. Okay, so that's the first point. And then their priorities were right. So if we look back at verse 19 in chapter 4, he says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to God more than you, you judge. So their heart was to be obedient to God. Their heart was to follow God no matter the cost. Um, to be super clear, they were in the will of God. They were doing what God was calling them to do. Um, but sometimes it's not safe there. I think um, that's really hard for us sometimes. And sometimes there's teaching in the church that's like, if you follow God's will, that's the safest place. And eternally, that is absolutely true, right? Like, if I follow the will of God, if I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I follow him at the end, be it tomorrow or be it 80 years from now, you know, the end, at the end of this life in this body, the, the end after that in heaven, seeing the face of God, that's very good, right? And, and either way, that is what I receive at the end because of my relationship and trusting on Jesus Christ, right? But to say that if you're in the will of God, that like you'll never face persecution, that you'll never face harm, like that's, that's not true. We see that precedent in through the Bible. We see that precedent in, in Jesus' life himself. Um, and so I think sometimes we hear that and man, it would be more comfortable, right? To say that like if you follow God's will, like no harm will ever befall you and like he'll never want for anything in life. Man, that sounds good, and when I'm giving a mission sermon, I would love to say that because everyone would be like, sign me up, I'll go, right? Um, but sometimes the threat is real, and you can be exactly in God's promise and it not be completely safe there. Eternally, we're safe, right? Like, if I'm a believer in Christ, no one can take heaven from me. Um, nothing, you know, in Romans 8, it says, not hide from death. Um, or anything in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. And so, you know, heaven is unshakable, but this life, like, we might face harm, we might face um, trials. But when Jesus Christ, as your Savior, makes heaven a reality, the threats of this world cannot hold you back. So when Jesus comes and he makes heaven so real to you, you're not going to be held back by that threat. You're going to say, like, man, people are lost and they need to know. And I think for us, that's like a really important part because, um, you know, the places that are left on the globe that haven't received Jesus Christ, like the nations that are completely lost, there's a reason those nations are still completely lost. And it's probably, um, mostly if you look at it and you like go to like the missiologists and stuff, those are some of the, um, the most brutal places to go. And so 
you know, they got saved for last. Some people are like, I feel called to like loving happy country. And other people are like, I feel called to other loving happy country. And um, you know, like definitely there has been evangelism in some really brutal places, but a lot of them have been avoided. And if we're really gonna take the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation, like it's gonna cost going to those people that might not be so excited to hear hear us and see us at first, right? Um, but if Christ makes that such a reality that he's truth and these people, as brutal as they are, are dying without him and going to hell, man, something changes in your heart and you're like, I still want him to know. You know, and, and it, that's kind of one of those difficult things to talk about. I mean, I talk about it with my mom. She's not a Christian. And she's like, why would God send you there? And I was like, because there's something more important than my life. And it's their eternity. You know, and, and we talk through it. And she, it's really hard for her to understand, you know. But as we talk through it, it's like, I guess that makes sense. Like, you believe what you believe, that makes sense. You know, and uh, it's just kind of like one of those realities we face. Um, so the threat was real. And... Um, their, their heart was right. And then I want us to look for our third point at the focus of their prayer. And we're going to look at um, verse 29 here one more time that I put away. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. So the main point, like if you take anything away from this talk tonight, is, is this one thing, okay? Prayer changes things. So if you take anything away from this, just take this one thing. Prayer changes things. Um, you know, we see these disciples and these early followers, later they pray, and we see crazy awesome miracles in the book of Acts. Like, if you keep reading the book of Acts, you see crazy awesome things. Um, in one instance, like, the ground is shaken, and they're actually set free from jail. We see people killed. We see blind people seeing. Um, but what I love about this passage, the one we're talking about tonight, is how they pray. Because they don't pray, and they don't say, God, get rid of those nasty Sadducees. Like, they're getting on our nerves. You need to get rid of them. And they don't pray, and they say, don't say, God, make them change. They're mean, and they're threatening us. And they don't even pray, God, we're doing awesome work and ministry for you, so please protect us and keep us safe. That's not what they say at all. They say, God, give us boldness. They say, Hey, this is hard. Give us fullness. Um, and I think that's pretty, pretty neat, and it, it's pretty telling about how we should pray. You know, they don't pray for the other people. Not saying it's not okay to pray for other people, okay? But in this instance, they're not praying for the other people. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for a good reception. They don't pray to be comfortable. Um, they pray to be bold. They pray to be bold so that they can keep going. And a uh, it's almost as if they're saying this. It's almost as if they're saying, Lord, I want to keep sharing Jesus Christ with everyone because they need to know I got arrested today and it shook me up a little bit. So help me not to stop. Make me bold and help me keep going. Like, you can almost, like, hear that heart behind their prayer. You know, and it's, like, as bold as they seemed, I mean, think about it. It's like if the dudes that killed the Jesus you were following are threatening you, you'd probably walk away and you would be like, First, praise the Lord, i got to walk away. And the second, you'll be a little shaken. They kind of realize, that doesn't mean I should stop. That doesn't mean I should stop sharing him. But God, I need you to give me strength and make me bold. Um, so they pray, not for God to change the Sadducees, not for God to change the culture. They pray for God to change themselves. 
And I think that's one of those incredible things um, about prayer is that sometimes, you know, we pray and we see it change culture. Sometimes we pray and we see people healed. Sometimes we pray and we see situations change and the way people treat us change. But sometimes we pray and the most important thing that happens when we pray is that God changes us. When I pray, God changes me. He changes my heart and he lines it with his will and he makes it right. Um, so, to continue the story about when I was talking with Matt about the prayer retreat, um, I told you guys I saw a counsel from a friend and a mentor, and um, in that conversation with the mentor, we worked through why I was asking, and we worked through how not to ask, right? Because, like, okay, can you imagine if I walked in there and I was like, you need to let me go out of town because I'm burnt out. Would that go over well to your husband and you think, like, if, I mean, if it does, like, I don't know, he, you know, but it shouldn't, right? We should never talk to him that. And um, instead it was more, really what I said is, please, I'm feeling really, really empty. Would you consider giving me this time as a gift to be with God? And um, I think that might really help. And that was really, I think, almost word for word, I said, it's like, would you consider doing this as a gift to me? Because I think it really helps and really spending time with me. And, and man, like, talking with my mentor about the question I had um, and processing how to ask, you know, it was something about that conversation changed my heart even before I went into the conversation with Matt, right? It, it changed how I asked and, and, um, and kind of like why I asked. And I think that that kind of happens, you know, when we talk to God is, is we see those things change. So finally, I worked up the nerve to have that conversation because I don't know why I was so nervous, but I was completely nervous. And, and what completely rocked my world is before I ever went on that prayer retreat to have that time to be with God and be refreshed, um, God already started working, started working in that conversation. I feel like he was working in our marriage. Um, I feel like he was working in me and teaching me how to be real and vulnerable and teaching me how to express that to others. Um, and it was like God was already doing doing those things and changing. Um, and I think, like, I learned a lot of things. Like, first of all, Matt was totally in favor of it. He's like, yeah, we can do that. Um, and I think I realized also that he cared about me, and I realized, too, that I cared about him. Because I'm like, I don't really just want to take off to, like, go get away. Like, that wasn't really the heart. The heart was like, is this okay? Because, like, I don't want to just leave you feeling stranded, but I want to go. And, and I feel like I need this time with the Lord and, like, working through if that was okay, I feel like brought so much closeness to our relationship and it brought um, so much depth to our relationship. Um, and so it's kind of crazy to me, not only the answer to my question changed things, but the, the conversation, both with my mentor and with Matt, it changed me. And I think that's how it is with prayer when we talk to God. It's that conversation and that talking to him and that asking him um, that changes us and that draws us into a relationship with him so we get to know him. Um, like I was talking to somebody about it and, it and we were talking about, you know, a lot of times when people are, whether you're a believer or like a new believer, you come to a place of need so that like you have to ask God. And, and it's so funny because you can think like, I'm asking God for the thing. Be it like the car, the wife or husband, the, you know, but you're like asking God for the thing. And it's almost 
like, it's not really almost, it probably entirely is like, God's not so interested in the thing as the fact that you're talking to him, you're conversing with him, and that relationship is growing. Um, so it's really funny, because sometimes I'll be praying for something specific, or be like, God, I need you to move in this situation, and, and it's almost like funny, because I'm like, you're not doing anything there. And he's like, no, I'm just trying to like draw you into my presence. <laughs> um, but then it's like, when I shift from like whatever thing, situation, whiny, whatever I was doing, because I'm really whiny. Um, you guys might not be whiny, I'm whiny. Um, but when I shift from whatever, like whining or asking to just focusing on him and the growth of that relationship, like it changes me, it changes my understanding of him. And I think that that's like what God desires to happen in prayer. And this um, scripture passage is just like a really great example of that. Um, so it doesn't just change things when we pray, it changes us. Sometimes we pray and we see the sick healed, and sometimes we pray and we see God move mountains in our situation, right? But one of the most important parts of prayer is that we're spending time in presence with God and we're changed there. Um, and I love it because the prayer wasn't stop the bad people. It was, Lord, make me bold no matter what. And I feel like I'm the kind of person that in my prayer, I tend to say, stop the bad people. And then God draws me through that conversation to the, Lord, make me bold no matter what. Um, but he's good like that. And so there's this picture of prayer um, in the Bible. I'm going to read it and like talk about it, and I'll kind of wrap up. But it's in Genesis 32, um, in verses 24 through 30. And I think... I spent almost the entire summer captivated by this passage. Um, there's just a lot there, and the more I think about it and thought about it, the more I meditate on it, the more I was just like, man, there's so much going there. Um, so Genesis 32, 24, we'll start. It says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been spared. And um, so if you if you go to Old Testament commentary, you go to commentary from the book of Genesis, um, it's pretty much like we don't know if this was God or if it's an angel or just like a type of God. But basically, Jacob is in a place where he's leaving a father-in-law who's completely unhappy with him, going home to a brother who previously wanted to kill him. And so he's in a really rough place. And um, this embodied presence that either is or stands for God comes and wrestles with him, and he grapples. And, you know, we use the word wrestle. I mean, it's talking like all-out fight wrestle. And he wrestles all night, right? And, um, and so at whatever point, you know, be it the angel or God, is like, let me go. And Jacob holds on and says, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. And it's kind of at that point um, that his hip gets touched and it goes out, out of joint. 
and a lot of um, the commentators agree that like that's the point when he realizes like this isn't a normal dude, this is like something from God, and and he's in awe. And like up until that point, he probably could have thought like, oh, I'm just strong. And um, I think in that moment, uh, one commentator was putting it, it's like he realized that God was letting him wrestle and not defeating him. But at any point, God could have like merely touched him and he could have completely crumpled, right? Because it's like one little poke and like his whole hip like falls out of socket. And so he kind of like realizes what he's dealing with. But then he like still says like, no, I want your blessing. And it's kind of, I think, um, so that is such a picture of us in prayer, right? That sometimes we pray and we're like, oh God, please bless the thing and do, you know, and, um, and that's fine and that's good. And sometimes there's going to be times we, we pray like that, but there's got to be times that as believers in Jesus Christ that we get with God and we grapple. And we pray and we pray and we don't let up. And in those moments where we feel like God is hiding, that we hold on tight. And we're like, no, like I'm going to drive you crazy until you, you answer. Um, and, and I think, you know, like the Bible tells us to pray like that. It talks about the persistent widow that went and like knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked at her neighbor's door. Or, no, that's the neighbor. The person, persistent widow went like to the judge again and again and again. And he's like, this lady is never going to stop. So give her what she wanted. And Jesus told his disciples and his teaching, be like her in prayer. So he's like saying, like, be unrelenting, absolutely, completely annoying in prayer. Because God wants us to engage in that way. He wants us to come to him with the things that are in our heart and grapple with them. Um, and so I think, like, that's what has captivated me about that passage for the summer. is just, I think I realized that there's so many things that are in my heart and, like, I don't. I don't take the time. I feel like God has been calling me and saying, like, no, like, you need to, like, come and you need to pray and you need to engage those things. And he's been calling me um, more to the ministry of prayer. And it's not, like, prayer about me. You know, it'll just show me different things to pray for. Um, but in Acts 4.31, it says this. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Um, I think that's cool because when they came together and they prayed, God answered, right? Like, he answers and like miraculously things shake and then they're given exactly what they asked for, which is fullness. Um, Ian Bounds has this quote. I think it's really great. It's a quote about prayer. It says, what the church needs today is not more machinery, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men of the Holy, that the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods or machinery, but men, men of prayer. And I think that, um, like he was writing to like ministers and they were like all male in his day. He's saying like, man, we don't need one more outreach. We don't need one more cool hip thing that we do. We don't need one more media logo to make people want to come to the thing. Because like, for real, how many of you guys like walk by flyers and that's how you decide what to do with your life? Like, maybe every once in a while, but not all that much. Um, you see the thing on Facebook and you're like, cool. And if you don't actually know a person there and it's not something you actually love, you're probably not going, right? We don't need more of that. We need people who will be people of prayer, who actually go 
and and meet people and meet the lost and and pray for them and get into their lives and actually do something, right? That's that's what God needs. And I think it's crazy because we think like, oh, we've got a new way and like we can be more hip and and really like the early church's way works just fine. We just go out and like meet people and engage the culture and pray for them until they come to Christ. Um, I found that quote on that prayer retreat. <laughs> Consequently, um, but like when I was there, as it took time to be with God in His presence, um, you know, I said I was burnt out and it's kind of this place where I'm like, do I need to quit? And do I need to go get going? Like keep going? What does that look like? And um, you know, honestly, I took a few days to sit in God's presence, and He didn't really give me a five-year plan. He didn't really give me any clarity in that regard, um, but in that time, he reminded me who I was in him, and like that gave me so much strength um, to go back and face every situation, and I think that's sometimes exactly what it is as we go and grapple, and God changes us. Like, I can't think of the millions of times I've been praying, and because um, I don't know if y'all ever get mad, if y'all ever get mad at people, and you see like what they're doing wrong. Right? And I can't think of like the tons and tons of times that I pray and be like, well, Lord, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And then like by the end of the prayer, because I journal, like still, by the end of the page, it's like, hey, God, start in me. Because I realize like, man, I'm really mad about them not doing the thing that I don't do either. And I could be better at. And like, even if it is something I do, man, I could be better and lead by example. So God, start with me. Um. So I just, like, as I was thinking about this, and we're going to close in prayer in a second, I was thinking, you know, in this season, okay, because it's election season, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, just please do vote. Um, like, <laughs> y'all are millennials, I'm like, just go. Um, but, but, like, in this election season, especially for people my age, people are spending so much time posting, tweeting, Instagram, Facebook, these monologues about what you should do or what you should think and why. And um, as I was kind of just like looking at that last night and then it came up today in one of my classes, you know, like the thought just struck me. I'm like, what if I, like, what if we spend that same amount of time praying for our nation that we take to rant about it? Like even with our friends or on social media. Like if we just took that same amount of time and instead of like rant and it stinks and I don't like it and like this like, person is bad because blah, you know, like, if I, if instead of doing that, I was just like, hey, God, like, move in our nation, we need your help, and, like, bless all of the candidates, and move in their life, because they need you, Jesus, like, I mean, but if I really just took that same amount of time and did that, and we all as believers did that, man, I think our situation would change a lot, you know, um, there's, there's another quote, I think it's, um, the same guy, but he's, but he's saying, um, you know, we should talk more to God about men than we talk to men about God. So I should talk to God more than I'm sitting here saying, like, hey, live like this, hey, do this, right? Um, and I just think, man, if God would just take our lives and, and challenge us to pray. There's so many areas, um, you know, and, and some of the things like, God might put on your heart to pray for a different thing than he puts on my heart to pray for. And I think there's things in general that we, that we probably all should pray for, but um, just as we close our time, we're about to pray. I want to um, kind of like talk through a few things we're going to pray about, and then we'll close. 
Um, but I want you to like just take a second and think as we're closing, who is God calling you to pray for? Who or what? Um, it could be a country, you know, it could be a situation, it could be people you know, they could know Jesus and they could not know Jesus. They could just be in a hard situation. They could be sick, but who or what is God calling you to pray for? And will you become a person of prayer? Will you be one of those people that's willing to do the hard work and grapple um, the really uncelebrated, unseen, unapplauded labor of prayer? Because there's a lot of things we can do to serve the Lord. The man, people will see us and it'll make us feel good. And sometimes um, they'll be like, hey, good job. Prayer, like, Jesus says to go in your closet and do it. And just engage your father who's unseen. Um, so it's really unapplauded, but it's so necessary. Probably more than all of the other stuff. Um, so what is God calling you to pray for? And will you be that person of prayer? You know, and then um, before we pray for that, I just want to take a second. Um, and if there's anybody here and you're like, you know, Jackie, I don't pray because I don't know Jesus. He's not my Savior. If that's you and you would like to know him tonight, we want to pray for you. Um, we really believe that Jesus Christ was uh, born of a virgin. You know, he came and he lived among us, worked in miracles. Um, he did all kinds of incredible miracles. The lame walked and the heard. And um, then he died in our place because we've all done wrong. He died a sinner's death on the cross. And he was dead for three days. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, he conquered sin and death. Not that he had sin and death because he didn't ever sin. He conquered sin and death for us. That we could be made whole. And we could be made right with God. And um, so that is available to anybody. Anybody who would say, hey... Jesus, I want to know you as my Lord and my Savior. I want you to make me right with God. That's available to any of us. Um, so if that's you, as we pray and we say, hey, don't, I don't pray and I don't grapple with God in prayer because I don't know him. Um, man, that's the most important decision you can ever make. Like we were talking about, you know, in the face of persecution, in the face of the disciples um, being threatened for sharing Christ, and that's why they're praying for the boldness. You know, um, like heaven is very real and hell is very real. And man, I want every single one of you guys to be in eternity with Christ. Um, so we're going to pray and um, we'll just kind of like pray through those things and um, then we'll close out. So if everybody would bow your head and close your eyes. Um, Lord God, I just pray over these students. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and God, you would teach us, you would move in our midst tonight. God, you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody here that would say, I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I want to. That's you as yours or me. Just pray with me. Okay. Well, um, so I just want you guys to spend a moment here in God's presence and just ask the Lord. This is like not a typical response thing, but just take a minute and um, just ask the Lord, God, who do you want me to pray for? Or what do you want me to pray for? And just take a second to wait on him and um, see if he'll give, give you a burden for anything. God, will just wait on him.
So this is a little different than what we've done. Um, but if you are sitting there and you're just feeling like God is putting on your heart to be a person of prayer, a person that's willing to wrestle in prayer and, um, and pray for like whatever God's putting in your heart, if that's you, would you stand? I just want to pray over you. Um, God, I just pray over these students. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray you would make us men and women of prayer. God, that we would pray for the lost people you put on our hearts. God, we would pray for the broken hearts and relationships you put on our heart. God, we would pray um, for the nations and for our nation and for our leaders. God, that you would teach us to be people that wouldn't just quickly glance over things in prayer, but God, we would be men and women that are willing to spend time and labor hard in prayer, Lord God, and not let go until we see you move. God, we just pray you for, pray for you to move in every situation that you laid on every heart. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus, would you start with us? God, would you start with us? God, we just give you glory and honor and praise. And God, I pray um, as we close, God, that you would just go with every student. God, that you would help us to know you. Lord God, you would help us to love you. Um, God, you would help us um, to continue, Lord, following you and pursuing you wholeheartedly. I just pray your blessing over each and every one here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. So there's tips and pasta. Chips and salsa out there. So I go hang and snack in a dollar office. And so a reminder, there are small and medium far tree shirts available for $15. Uh, this could be yours. You can wear this around campus.